When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, everybody? You are tuned into the Around the 412 podcast, part of the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I am Tyler Beefy Weeks, and that is Zachary Smitty Smith. And the reason I'm doing this intro like this this week, if you've listened to our previous shows, if this is your first time listening, you won't know any difference, is because last week I had the opportunity to go back to Pittsburgh and visit friends and family and hang out, and we got to do a live show. And my wife, Kennedy, and our good friend, Sarge, were there during that show. And in the background, they were mocking me because of the intro being so repetitive, and they could say it word for word. And so mm-hmm. I just said, decided I needed to switch it up this week and, and show that I'm able to say different things than just our normal intro. But I mean, we've done this so many times. It's basically just ingrained in my head. That's why it's the same thing every week. Yeah, I feel like most podcasts like have the same set intro and, and outro as well. So I, I don't know. But I mean, I, I guess I can appreciate that if you have to, you are able to to come up with something new on the fly as an intro. But uh, yeah, what's going on, everybody? Tyler back in Utah now after being back home for a week in Pittsburgh. So we hope you were able to catch the last episode uh, in studio. Great video and audio quality. Thank you to uh, Eddie Provident, the multimedia director with DK Pittsburgh Sports. Uh, let's jump in and talk some Pirates right away. I want to talk about the pitching of this team specifically on this episode. Yes, they are 500 over their last stretch of games here. The Pirates have played some decent baseball, actually, as of late. And as of the time of recording this, they're also 3-1 and one on the season against the Dodgers. And I think that there's no better uh, example of the pitching that we've seen from this team recently than last night's game. Um, Zach Thompson delivers another really good start. And really, like, four out of the starters in the rotation now. We're, we're, we're liking what we see from Quintana, from Thompson, from Brubaker even over his last stretch of games has been pretty solid. And then, of course, Rowanzi Contreras, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just threw a couple starts up here, but he's looked pretty solid. So really, like, Mitch Keller's that one question mark still that we have. But uh, from the rotation, I mean, you have to be pretty pleasantly surprised with what you've seen as of late. Yeah, this is one of the things that we've harped on the Pirates a lot for is the starting pitching, not being able to get the length into the games to help out the bullpen, help help out the team, and really just giving your team the best shot you can to win the game. But the past week or so, we've seen that. I mean, multiple starts. We've had guys going five, six innings, and Rowanzi Contreras, let's just say, last week's show, unless you were listening to the Pir- or, or the right. Penguins segment, the Pirates and the Steelers segments were completely irrelevant the next day, not even 24 hours the later. one was too. True, as yeah. well. It's, it's, so it was really funny. But yeah, Rowanzi Contreras, he comes up, and I mean, we thought maybe he doesn't start right away. Obviously, he starts the next day, before even sh- our show mm-hmm. even comes out, actually. And... Yeah. and uh, he, he does great. I, I I was actually in attendance for that game. He gave them the best shot to win. But Zach, like you mentioned, Zach Thompson, JT Brubaker. I mean, th- these are guys that have needed to step up when when the time has come. And they're finally doing so. They're, they're giving the bullpen the rest that they need because the bullpen was looking pretty taxed the last few weeks. And that's really because of the starting pitching and the length that they go into the games. We've actually seen guys go past five innings this week, which is a pleasant surprise. And I, I think it's been really solid the past like five or six games. 
Yeah. Now, you know, can they continue that? I'm not sure. I mean, listen, I, I am by absolutely no means an Oscar Marine fan as a as matter of fact, I'm the complete opposite. I don't think that he should be here anymore. And I don't think that he would be if Eckstein wasn't canned last or this past offseason, because I just don't think they wanted to fire both of those guys. But I think Maureen is attached at the hip with Mitch Keller. So even if the rest of this rotation does do as well as they have recently, if Mitch Keller isn't part of that, if he's still the guy struggling, I don't think that that Marine is around very much longer. But you mentioned the bullpen being taxed and, and guys getting stretched out and everything like that. How about David Bednar throwing 50 pitches on Monday night's game against oh, the Dodgers, pitching two innings. And I, he looked like if he had to pitch another inning, he could have just off adrenaline alone. I mean, he still had his glove on his hand during the post-game interview with Robbie and everything like that. I mean, what an easy guy to like rally behind to. I mean, a Pittsburgh guy pitching for his hometown team, just all emotion, just everything. You know, he's wearing it on his sleeve. He's not running from it. And a guy that's had a, a good amount of success here now, you know, in his second season in Pittsburgh, really becoming one of the better relievers in baseball. Yeah, he's definitely set himself apart when it comes to the relievers in that bullpen for the Pirates. And I mean, it's just something about those Whippy old boys, I guess, dropping some F-bombs in some post-game interviews. Uh, yeah. <laughs> shout out to Tyler Palco. But yeah, it, the the way that we saw him end out that, that first game against the Dodgers on Monday night was great. I mean, if you guys stayed up to watch that. Because it was it was pretty late game, but it was well worth it. I mean, it, it was a wild game. We started uh, out four to nothing. Dodgers mm-hmm. end up coming back, taking the lead. Then Pirates top of the ninth take the lead back. I mean, how can you not be romantic about baseball? To quote Moneyball, I mean, even sometimes it's fun to watch the Pirates still. But David Bednar, I mean, when are we going to build the statue for this guy? He's so electric. I, I think that you know how we have in PNC Park the the thing in the in the left field upper grandstand with with the K's for the strikeouts for the pitchers and every strikeout they just Mm -hmm. turn over another K I think that we need to set an over under first off in in whenever he comes in to make a save in a game on how many F words he's going to say once he gets that final (laughs) strike I think I'm going to probably start lines and the handshake lines uh, too yeah yeah, I'm going to start the over under like 20 and a half F bombs in a post game and like yeah. from that first strike on or that last strike on. And then afterwards, I think from the bullpen in the batter's eye, you just need to have an F turnover for every time he drops one <laughs> because it's just nonstop for this guy. But yeah, you can just tell he has that motor in him. He's just so electric on the mound and he just is such a competitor out there. He's really fun to watch. Yeah. Well, by the way, I didn't think that we did a Tyler Palco reference on this week's episode of Around the 412, <laughs> but there it is. Um, but yeah, it, it's just one of those games that like, you know, even with a bad team and what's going to be like a bad season by the end of it, every once in a while, you're going to have those games that feel almost like a playoff like feel like almost like those 13 to 15 years as Pirate fans we got to experience. And I think last, last night's game, or I'm sorry, two nights ago uh, on Monday night, that was one of those games, you know, because Dodgers fans, obviously, like they're going to have a packed house every single game. And it's it just that environment, man. It felt like it was like a playoff game. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. There's still, there's still, I would say out of the 162 games for the Pirates season, we'll probably have at least like, I don't know, 30 fun games to watch, you know? <laughs> I thought you were going to say 30 <laughs> games like that. I was I don't know if we're going to have 30 like that. No, but, just 30 fun. You know, games. Yeah, but as far as like the, last night's game, like, that's going to be at the, the top other 132 list. are just going to be miserable to watch. But as Pirates yeah. fans, we need to watch them. Yeah, but last night's right now, I think, is probably, you know, up towards the top of the list. But even like Saturday night's game, they come from behind win with Hayes hitting his first home run. Like this West yeah. Coast trip, they've, they've provided some moments for us. Um, 
speaking of moments, uh, mentioned last week's episode how many just topics out went the out window. the window from the, from yep. the minute we recorded it. <laughs> the Steelers segment that we're about to segue into is going to highlight all of that. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the Steelers, a new GM that's kind of an, an old GM, if you will, speaking of uh, you know in-house hires, and also a guy returning to OTAs that both of us said would not. So we'll talk about that when we come back. This is Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Welcome back to Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Like I said, a lot of Steelers stuff to talk about uh, with OTAs now in their second week and also a lot of stuff that we need to kind of backtrack on from last week. Um, (laughs) Deontay Johnson is at OTAs. You know, we brought up two names last week and him and Stefan too, if we thought they'd be there. This is a very welcome sight. I mean, like I said, I think that they need this guy. I, I like both the additions they made through the draft. I think Chase Claypool can bounce back. I mean, that's a that's a huge maybe, though. Um, Deontay Johnson's really the only proven commodity that they have in that wide receiver room. He's the best route technician they have by a wide margin. He's the only one that can win, really, in those ways. So, you know, even if George Pickens does hit his ceiling, even if Calvin Austin does hit his ceiling, even if Chase Claypool does bounce back, Deontay Johnson is just totally different from the rest of those guys. So I think it's a very welcome addition, a surprising one to me, because I expected him to be there by training camp. But we're talking about not even like, you know, mini camp yet like we're talking about OTAs this guy showed up for it's so I think a lot of people yeah. were kind of surprised by this yeah I, and I, I think the first reaction I had is that maybe the relationship and not that the relationship was bad with Deontay Johnson and the Steelers but like you and I had talked like maybe this means that we they don't get a contract on whenever they kind of miss their opportunity so so to speak but maybe this shows that like maybe they that opportunity is still there even though that it didn't get happen like a month or so ago when we, everybody was like clamoring for it to happen. Maybe the relationship mm-hmm. isn't as bad as people have thought. And maybe he, he still is looking for that contract from the Steelers. Maybe they're still working it out. We literally have no idea what's going on, but it is a welcome sight to see. They need him there. And I think especially with like all these new quarterbacks, I mean, of, of course, Mason Rudolph is still there, but you need yep. to get the rhythm with those wide receivers for Mitch Trubisky and for Kenny Pickett and, and, no matter which one of those guys are the starter, I mean, this is going to be a brand new offense you're, you, for whichever starter it's going to be. So to have that relationship with the receivers and especially your best one on the team, th- they're starting in spring. is I feel a lot more comfortable with that being the case than starting in July whenever training camp starts. Yeah, no disrespect meant here for Mason Rudolph, but the quarterback that's going to be throwing Deontay Johnson footballs come this fall, he hasn't caught a pass from. So he needed to be there for OTAs. And I'm glad that he felt that way as well. So I'm definitely glad to see that he is there and working with his guys. It was great to see, uh, like I said, a very welcome sight to to wake up to and find out that he was there. Um, Next thing on the agenda was we uh, said Brandon Hunt was the favorite in-house to be the new GM for the Steelers, uh, not only is he not, he's no longer with the organization. He's taken a position with the Philadelphia Eagles. So uh, it is Omar Khan as the new Steelers GM. So it was the other in-house option they did have. 
you know, I guess it makes sense when they also bring in Andy Wydell over from the Eagles to kind of handle that, like the scouting aspect and bring that background. So they do still have Omar Khan, you know, to be kind of the cap guy. Obviously, he's going to have an elevated role. He's not just going to do that with the GM title. But, you know, those two working in unison, I guess it does make sense. Um, I'm definitely not against it. I mean, how can anybody be for or against really without him making a single move? Um, exactly. But I, I think it makes a ton of sense. And just from a familiarity standpoint, and he talked about that a ton. I think like half of his press conference was spent just talking about how things can just kind of be a smooth transition because he's been with the Steelers since 2001 uh, when he came over from working with the Which Saints. Which is crazy. And, he was like 24 yeah. years old. Yeah. When he came over from uh, working with the Saints. So he's been with the organization. He knows how things run and it should be a very smooth transition. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited about it. I think that... Uh Obviously, he is the best GM in football now. There's no question about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he mean, was number one all the time. But yeah, I, I think that you take his skills of like maneuvering the cap and having him as a GM, and and not that he's only useful for that. I mean, I'm sure over the last 20 years he's been with the Steelers organization, he's picked up some tips on like what makes yeah. a good football player. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. just say he's just the cap guy, but. Having Andy Wydell there, and they also brought in Sheldon White from the Detroit Lions uh, organization as well, another guy with a scouting background. I I think he's got a lot of help in his corner when it comes to like drafts, free agents. He's not by himself. We definitely know he has the support system to to Mm -hmm. be successful as the new GM. And so even though it wasn't the guy we thought it was going to be, I, I th- still think that they are set up to succeed moving forward, and it works out either way. Whether it was going to be Brandon Hunt or Omar Khan, it turns out to be the Khan artist himself. And I'm, I'm excited Trademark. for the new new regime of Steelers football. I mean, we, we've talked about it many times on this show with the, the fact that Ben is gone and now Kevin Colbert's gone. This team just feels totally anew outside of the owner and the head coach. So I'm just excited for everything moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Colbert is going to, it sounds like he's going to stick around in some capacity. It'll be interested to see like exactly what that role is, but that's going to make it even better for Omar Khan to be able to, you know, always be able to lean on Kevin Colbert. Um, and then Dan Colbert, Kevin Colbert's son was moved into an elevated role as well. So, I mean, Omar Khan's wasted no time building out his staff here. Um, so yeah, I am very intrigued by this just because like, you know, we keep harping on it, but 15 years, we haven't seen any type of really turnover for the, what you consider the three pillars of an NFL organization. Um, you know, and, and now we've turned over two of those. So it, it in one off season. So it'll be interesting to see how this thing all plays out. But uh, yeah, it's hard to not be excited about the way things are going right now. Um, going back to the last thing we just said, especially when you got Deontay Johnson back at OTAs unexpectedly. Um, and I, last, I, I think oh, it's, kind of, I was just going to say to me, I think it's kind of underrated, like that Kevin Colbert actually, because we talked about like, is Kevin Colbert going to resign like before or after the draft or should he resign before or after the draft? I, I think it is smart for, Colbert to have resigned after the draft now knowing like Khan has a full year to really understand what it takes to do this job and the ins and outs of it and so he has a full year to really go into the free agent market and the draft himself so he's a lot of time to prepare for what it's going to take come that time so I think it was smart on Colbert and the Steelers organization decision for that to happen post draft. Yeah, I mean, that's that's typical. That's how GM contracts are pretty much always set up is for them to expire after the draft. The thing that's like so because people have like their hard, t- hard time wrapping their heads around it. How many GMs like actually retire 
You know, like most are at the end of their contract, like most are either extended or fired before that contract ends. So nobody really knows that GM contracts typically end after the draft. But that is true. So in yep. this case, it was just Kevin Colbert let his contract expire after the draft and didn't renew it on a one year like he always had been. But I think that like the fact that and this is why I felt like Brandon Hunt was going to be the guy, but definitely like him or Omar Khan would have been one and two for me. I felt like it was going to be internal the entire time because I felt like we would have had a good indication pre-draft if it wasn't going to be the fact that they just kept it under wraps and didn't make that decision. I felt like, okay, the guy's kind of already in the fold, probably going through this draft process with them. And I think it's going to be an internal hire and just, you know, keep it moving along. Like I said, this, this seamless transition because Omar Khan's been around and they shouldn't miss a beat here. So I'm, I'm excited about it and uh, we'll, we'll see what the future holds for this organization. But uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of changes happening. Um, like you said, other than, the Rooney zone in the Steelers and Mike Tomlin uh, at the helm. So the last thing that I want to mention Steelers wise at OTAs, this is for some reason, like a big headline. And I'm not sure why, like Najee feels the need to dispute this so much, I guess it, because he, I don't know if people are saying that he's fat as much as just adding muscle, but okay. So he Maybe was he's saying that he's a new Eddie Lacy. I, I did see a meme he, that, of that could, today. Yeah. So he came in, he was listed on the Steelers website at 232 pounds last year. He's currently listed at 244 pounds. That is apparently a big deal. However, Najee Harris himself last year said that he was playing around 240. So it's not that much of an increase if what Najee Harris was saying is true as opposed to the Steelers website. But all I'll say is, I don't know if you've seen clips of this guy or pictures of this guy. He he definitely does look bigger, like legs. It looks like it's literally all his quads if he did game weight. But he doesn't look at all less explosive. If anything, he looks more no. explosive. I mean, this guy is not. Think about it. Like, this is why guys take a leap in year two is because they're not focusing on class in the draft. This guy's literally all football right now. The entire offseason. He probably didn't have an offseason with the way that this guy works. So he is ready to roll for year two. I'm excited for year two of Najee Harris, regardless of if I mean, I would love to see the offensive line obviously take a leap. I don't know how much of a leap they're going to take, but they can't be worse. But Najee Harris himself, just the fact that him going into year two, the way it looks like he's going to, I'm very excited for Najee Harris. As somebody that didn't even love the draft pick, but loves Najee himself, I'm excited. Yeah, first off, anybody who thinks Najee Harris is fat, I mean, look at the (laughs) clips, look at the pictures from OTAs. From, from a couple of bigger guys ourselves, we know what it's like to add on a couple pounds and we know what it's like to do it around our waist. He's not doing that. He's doing that in his quads, his legs, and that is the power from the running backs. That's where they need their power. And clearly that's what he focused on in the offseason. And anybody who thinks it's a big deal that he's, he's gained a little bit of weight, Clearly, it won't matter. And I, a little tidbit, I know that he weighed 232 pounds at his Alabama Pro Day. So maybe that's the weight that that was going off of. And he gained weight prior to the season and played at 240. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's all it's Those all the weights on team sites that were always kind of skewed. It's skewed. It, 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 but I'm just going to take Najee's word for it. I have no reason not to believe Najee that he was playing at 240 last year. And if he just added four pounds of muscle to his quads himself, that is fine. He looks no less the athlete. He even looks like, like you said, a little bit even more explosive than he did last year. And I'm excited for year two of this guy. And honestly, it it doesn't hurt for him to bulk up because the way that the running back room for the Steelers has worked so far, at least with Najee in it, 
we know he is that power horse back, and he is going to get the vast majority of the carries. He had 300-plus yeah. carries last year, like 74 catches, I believe. That number might increase. The carries might increase. I mean, it helps that he might have a better offensive line, hopefully with the new additions with the Steelers, but he is going to need to be beefy and get get more muscle than he had last year, in my opinion. Because he's going to be taking so much brunt of those low, like the carries. that We're not going to see a lot of Benny Snell. We're not going to see a lot of Anthony McFarlane. Like, as much as we like to would like to see those guys chime in a little bit during game day, it's not really going to happen. Let's be real. It's going to be all Najee Harris. And to me, I think that's going to help him be more durable in the season. And it's going to help him like really lay the hits down on those linebackers, the DBs that want to come up and tackle them. I mean, they're going to think twice about doing that now. Yeah. I mean, listen, running back to me behind Najee uh, and edge three are probably like my two needs that I would like to see the Steelers address between now and the start of the season. They're going to have plenty of opportunities to do so. You know, when roster cuts start to take place and stuff, um, we we see them make like a late trade. Like, um, listen, not that the Joe Schober trade was a good trade, but they do stuff like that all the time as we get closer to the season and then the preseason. So um, I, I don't think that obviously the all 53 men that are going to be on this roster are currently on this 90 man roster. But, you know, getting back to that point, though, say they even do add another running back, which I think is, is something they need to do like a even like a David Johnson. I think there's still something there with him. I know Dale pointed him out as well as like a number two back. Um Tomlin, though, we know how Tomlin wants to utilize his running backs. We saw it here with Levy on his entire tenure. Like he wants that workhorse. So like how much yeah. even if you do have a more capable back, how much workload are you really taking away from this guy? That's why I think the only way that you're going to see more production from or not even production, you're going to see more from the running back room in terms of like different carries, different touches is if Matt Canada kind of just schemes it that way and he's going to have basically like those end arounds what we saw like what what Anthony McFarland would be getting in the touches I mean we've seen that Anthony McFarland is going to get those touches between the tackles so unless they kind of scheme for different running backs to get different touches it's going to be Najee Harris no matter what he's going to get 90 percent plus of all the touches from the Steelers yeah. running backs yeah. this season talk about somebody I was excited for man Anthony McFarland I really thought that they could do something there with him especially with like what I thought Matt Canada's offense would look like hey I, I mean I don't want to like keep say keep up I mean, that guy that comes into every year saying maybe this is the year but this is if it's gonna happen ever it's got to be this year hey new quarterback new offensive line a hopefully improved offensive line maybe mm-hmm. Matt Canada's offense looks a lot different this year than it did the last year uh, yeah, it's definitely going to look different, but is it going to be any better? I think that that's the, the question that we need to be asking. Um, all right. So speaking of questions, we're going to go through something, a little exercise uh, based off a comment that Ron Hexel made that I feel like kind of flew under the radar because everybody's been worried about Chris Tang, about Evgeny Malkin when it comes to the Penguins. He mentioned something that he would like to have for this roster. And we're going to talk about that when we come back. This is around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Welcome back to Around the 412 on the DT Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm Smitty. That is Tyler. Let's wrap up talking about the Penguins. I mentioned something that Ron Hextall mentioned uh, in his end of season press conference, something that he wanted to see or would like to have, and that's cap space. 
Now, I mean, who doesn't, right? Who wouldn't want to have cap space? If you're the Pens, you know that you're going to be up against the cap pretty much every year. This year, as of right now, they at least do have some space that's obviously with a lot of guys on sign that we we know they want to have back. Um, <sighs> but how can they get creative with this? How can they create some cap space? Uh, we want to do a little exercise here and talk about maybe some of the ways that they can do so. I think everybody, first thing we're going to look at, hey, for like the last 18 months, it's been a conversation. That left-hand side of the defense, it's so expensive. And really for most of those guys, the production, at least especially at this point with Brian Dumoulin falling off the way he did this year, this year just doesn't warrant what they're making. Yeah, and just to get like the quote right. So he was asked by Mike DeFabo, Looking back, if there's anything missing, yeah, shout out. Also, shout out Jenna Harner, the girlfriend. (laughs) Shout out to podcast on Fifth Ave. Uh, But yeah, if 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 there's anything missing or something he wishes he had more in terms of identity of the team, and he said a little more cap space would be great. So great, not just good, great, great. (laughs) So I, I mean. Honestly, a lot of people might just hear that and overlook that. But to me, that means that he is going to be looking to create more cap space for the team. Currently, according to Cap Friendly, they have 23.2 and change million of cap space after that Brian Rust deal had kicked in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've already gone over who we think free agent wise, so we're not going to talk about any of those. But getting back to that left side defenseman, I mean, we've talked about this on our show for, like you said, 18 months, a year and a half. (laughs) Basically, since we've seen POJ come up and play and know that he can be at the NHL level, we have a log jam on that left side. And one actually log jam is one of the less is gone. Shout out to Yusa Rikula for playing in the Swedish League, Finnish League, some some league over in Northern Europe. Not the NHL, probably the most underused player in the Mike Sullivan era for some reason. Mike Sullivan just did not like him that much. That is a question that will remain to be seen. But I think you need to move on from one of those left side defensemen. No matter which one it is, that can be discussed. If it's me, it's Brian Dumoulin. He has one year left on his contract at $4.1 million, And this guy has really fallen off a cliff from what he ha- was defensively. And I just don't think he has that step. It was really that injury like a year or two ago. It really hampered his play. And so and especially the way that Marcus Pedersen played as well in the playoffs. I mean, that that's kind of like, well, how can I trade this player? Um, yeah. But POJ, he's down there in Wilkes-Barre right now. He had a he had a solid season. I think he's proven that he's ready to come up to the NHL level as a full time starter. But. When's he going to play? And the easiest way is to move one of those guys that has $4 million of cap space. Now, obviously, you need another team to want one of those guys because, I mean, Mike Matheson, really, how do you trade him now? I mean, a year ago, I would say look look to move him. But now for the season he had, I would not look to move him. And if, if my like I said, my choice is Brian Dumoulin over Marcus Pedersen. And so I, I think you try to at least look at to move one of those two. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know what team is going to take it. But I mean, even if you think it's a bad contract, people take, I mean, teams take bad contracts all the time. And when they work out deals like retaining money, whatever it may be, but you, you can open up some space to get this guy in the lineup. I mean, POJ, it, it, I've said it before and we actually discussed it last week. Like, if he's, if he's not going to come into the NHL level, then why aren't you trading him? Like, at least for the little value he still has left. If, if they were never going to bring him up, they should have traded him a while ago. And if they're, they're going to continue to do so, you might as well trade him. So, Because what use does he have just sitting in Wilkes-Barre? You know what's funny is you're talking about POJ. 
having like a full-time spot. I'm looking at the guy that played those last few games of the playoffs and Mark Friedman and thinking that they're looking for a way to get him in the lineup on a consistent basis. Uh, I mean, I know POJ's like, you know, the, the prospect at, at one point, pretty hyped up prospect. He was kind of like the piece of the Phil Kessel trade. Like, yeah, Galchenyuk was part of that, but they were doing it more so for the POJ aspect. I mean, Mark Friedman, to me, I, I think that he showed out well enough that they would like to get him into their six. And I think if you're moving just one guy out from the, the left side, I think Friedman's the guy that gets the first crack there um, because him and Ruedel played so well down the stretch together. We know Pedersen and Marino. So that means, assuming if, if Chris Letang is back and it is Brian Dumoulin, that's the spot that we're looking for. I mean, that's not going to be Mark Friedman, but is that even going to be POJ? J? I, I don't know. I, I would think he would get a fair shot at it. I, I, he's been with, I didn't like him with Latang. I, I don't know. I, I don't think uh, if Latang is back, I think that POJ would at least get a shot to play with Latang if Dumlin is gone because I don't I just don't see Friedman playing with Latang. Um, no. <laughs> also, if, no. Also, if Latang's gone, uh, I mean the the, the problem things. is solved. Fry, Friedman's on the right side and POJ goes to the left side. There you go. Um, but I mean, yeah, if, 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 if Latang's not back, they got to add somebody else defensively, but, but yeah, I, I hear you in terms of the in-house options that would be left. Um, we have it. What's weird is like, you know, Friedman has pretty much always played on his off offhand because that's where we yep. always seem to have like the injuries go is on the left side. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, I, I mean, I'm with you to get back to like the point at hand here with the defenseman that we would like to see the move out. And that is Brian Dumoulin, which is crazy to think about. He's done so much for this franchise was obviously, you know, the return part of the return in the Jordan Stahl trade and and worked out for both sides, really, I think. But, you know, especially for the Penguins, getting what Brian Dumoulin has given this team uh, in terms of being the top pairing defenseman. But at this point, yeah, ever since that that ankle injury, he just has not been the same player with just one year left at four point one million. If you can move him to a team that still, you know, views him as like a second pairing defenseman, which, you know, probably he could play somewhere else. But here, if you're asking him to play top, you know, on that top pairing with Latang, it's just I don't think he's capable of doing it anymore. Um, I still think that he could be a serviceable guy. I just I, I don't think he's gonna be here. I'd rather have the, the cap flexibility. Hey, financial flexibility. <laughs> that moving him out would provide. Yeah, just call your friends on the North Shore. Um, all right, moving on to the forwards. I mean, we've spent enough time on these defense, but we've done it for the, a long time, not just this episode. But there's a couple guys. I mean, two of them are locked up for long, a little bit longer. But, I mean, the first name that comes to mind, and it's been polarizing, I feel like, among Penguin fans over the last year or so, is Jason Zucker. I mean, what do you think of this guy? Is he a guy that you think that could be – potentially looked at to move on to create some cap space he does have that five and a half million dollar cap hit but I do think he started to come into his own game with the Penguins this year the only thing that was hampering him is all the injuries it feels like every time he got healthy that same game he took some sort of injury and whether it was a, an injury that knocked him out for multiple games or he just like missed a few shifts or a period or whatever it was it just seemed like he just had that injury bug it was like the Bo Bennett disease um, mm -hmm. but do you think that the Penguins could look to move someone like Jason Zucker? Or do you think that they need to still bring him back next year? Jason Zucker hasn't been healthy since the world shut down in 2020. Like he was basically <laughs> hurt that entire time as well. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I think if it, it to me, what happens with Jason Zucker's future as a penguin is going to show me how much pull that Sullivan has, because I'm not sure how, you know, Hextall and Burke feel about Jason Zucker. I know Mike Sullivan loves Jason Zucker, like literally Mike Sullivan himself. How many times have you heard a coach say they love a player? Like, I'm sure that a lot of coaches love their players, but to actually say yeah. single out one player and say he loves this guy. Mike Sullivan said that about Jason Zucker during the playoffs. And I mean, for him to battle through everything that he did, to me, that's the only I know that that's really the only thing that matters is the availability, um, because you have to be available to produce for this team. But when he's been available, I think that he's done that, obviously not to the cap hit, but he plays Mike Sullivan's system perfectly. And I think he provides enough offensively. He creates enough offensively. And obviously, he's a better defense player than I think a lot of people gave him credit for or Mike Sullivan would love to keep him around. But to me, that's why it's going to come down to like how much how much pull does Sullivan have here in terms of roster construction? Because if if Hextall is looking to create some cap space, man, that he's not, obviously a guy that's not living up to that production. You you would have to eat some of that, I would think, to move it out. But you're opening up a forward spot, and you're obviously shedding some salary. I, I think it's viable. But man, I, I'll tell you what. I think it was like a week or two ago. DK said he wasn't even considering him a possibility. Like he thinks there's no chance that they move on from him. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think he's really valuable. I, I think he brings a lot to the game, and, and I think the only thing that was hampering him was the injuries. He, is he was not on the ice, but I think when he is on the ice, and I think we really saw it going down the stretch of the season when he came back from injury, is that he's really valuable. He's he's a great playmaker, and I, I feel like the only reason that people get on him is because he has that $5.5 million cap hit and didn't have the same like point totals that he had in Minnesota. But I, I still think he brings a lot of value to this team, and I, I think that one thing it, it is kind of like uh, – losing Latang, and I'm not saying like Zucker's Latang caliber. Don't get me wrong. Like don't don't quote me on that. But I'm just saying like there is a lack of top six talent on this Penguins roster as it's constructed right now. And in the in the uh the organization as a whole, it's not like they have guys that are ready to come in and play at that top six level. But I feel like you can't just easily move on from one unless you have one that is ready to come in and replace him. And Jason Zucker is capable of playing on either of the first or second lines. He has that skill level. We don't really have many of those wings in the organization right now. You can debate whether like, like guys like Evan Rodriguez, Dayton Heinem, and yes, they could play like second second line wingers. But like, I, still, I don't think those guys have the skill sets as Jason Zucker has as well. So if you're moving on from him, you're going to probably have to look to either promote someone within the organization, and, and that would be a pretty big promotion, or you're going to have to look to bring one in as well. And I, I don't think that – I feel like that would cost the Penguins more than it would be worth to just keep that cap hit on. for. It's, it's just the one more year. After that, mm-hmm. the, the futurization Zucker's up in the air, but it, it's just the one more year at $5.5 So I, I think that they still hold on to him. I don't think they're going to look to m- get some cap space from him. Um, but just another, I guess, fun – couple we could talk about is uh i mean i'm in the camp and i like i wish that jeff carter was not going to be here moving forward but obviously he got that two-year extension and as soon as he signed that extension his play seemed to have dropped off a cliff and brock mcginn i mean friend of the show but i I don't think he uh had a stellar year especially going down the stretch i mean and especially he started off really well i thought but started off really well but he, he kind of like digressed as the season went on and then ultimately caused the turnover that caused the penalty that ended the uh series for the penguins um 
But do you think that, I mean, maybe they either try to like move on from one of those guys. I mean, I don't think either one is going to happen, but this is just Mm -hmm. fun talk. Yeah, I mean, you know, those guys were actually both brought in. Most of the guys that we talked about were guys that were brought in from the previous regime, right? So it's like you could theoretically say that they didn't acquire that guy. They don't have anything attached to him. Both these guys, Jeff Carter was extended under Hextall and Brock McGinn was a free agent signing under Ron Hextall. So I think that they're they're kind of tied to both those guys. I don't know. I mean, Brock McGinn's one year into a four-year deal that's right now at least not looking that great. Um, and Jeff Carter, you know, I, I no one's... They're not, they're not trading him. So it would basically have to be a situation where Jeff Carter all of a sudden changes his mind and wants to retire. But here's the thing with him. Even, even at that, I, he, he, you yeah, still have the I cap mean, hit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm of the camp, though, that Jeff Carter can still like I think that he got worn down in an 82 game season after playing two shortened seasons. Now he's got to go into next year and, and train probably better than he ever has before at 37, 38 years old to try to get ready for an 82 game season. But I still think that he can do enough not at center. I'll keep saying it on here. I want to see him play right wing. And I think he's still a guy that can score somewhere between 15 to 20 goals playing on somebody's right wing. No, I'm with you. I I think when we talked about it a couple weeks ago, when when we were talking about like Evan Rodriguez, if we brought him back, we would ideally want him to play at that third line center position and bump Carter over to the wing. I think that's where Mm -hmm. he's best suited right now. Defensively, he's just not the same player that he was. And uh, he's going to be what thirty eight years old. He's thirty seven now. Going to be thirty eight next season. I mean, you got to help yourself in ways. I mean, whether you want to play wing or not, whether you rather play center, you have to help yourself and you have to help the team by helping yourself. So, yeah, I, I think you should play wing. And then Brock McGinn. I mean, maybe it was just the injury that happened to him that really hampered his play when he came back. And How many maybe guys after- do we say that about though? Like. <laughs> Guys come back oh, from injuries all the time. I mean, how many guys that can't be like the excuse for every there's some that are going to be, you know, like Brian Dumlin, like tearing tendons in his ankles is a lot different than what Brock McGinn came back from, in my opinion. But no, I I agree. But yeah. for how injured the Penguins is like are all the time, not just this season, like mm-hmm. multiple well, seasons. This is a broken wrist. Doesn't right? help. Yeah. Yeah. I, to, to me, I, I don't know how that something like that impacts his play the way that it did down the stretch but i mean maybe maybe it's a mental thing and that might be is just as worrisome because i said the same thing about like a teddy bluter you know coming back from the broken jaw the way that his play fell off too so i don't know but yeah as far as those two guys go i i think they're both on next year's penguins team no and and i think that one other way that and i i would like to get someone on the show um, in the near future to come and talk about this. But I think one of the way they can help with cap space is not looking to sign um, some, some more outside guys and look at what they have in house. Maybe you have a couple guys that you could promote to the NHL level. I mean, Drew Drew O'Connor is ready to be a full-time player. Drew O'Connor. Yes. He's the first name that comes to mind as being a NHL ready player. Maybe you see some stuff from Valtteri Pustin in. um, I, I, and, I mean, what do you have in Philip Hollander? I don't know. I, I, I'm just throwing out options that, that that could save some cap space for the Penguins. If these guys can play at the Casper NHL Bjorkwist level, Bjorkqvist played some here last year. Yeah, you're going to get guys that are on the that like eight hundred thousand dollar contracts that will help when the cap space comes to comes to town. I mean, it, it's going to be. Would you rather sign a guy that can basically play? I mean, realistically, like. Drew O'Connor, you could probably say in the limited time he had, had a better season than uh, Brock McGinn. And Brock McGinn has a $2 million more cap hit than him. 
So mm-hmm. you, you could run into situations like that where you, you could have internal guys that can play just as good, if not better, than some guys you could bring in at a lower cap hit. So that, that could be one more way that Hextall could help uh, his cap space situation. But yeah, uh, I mean, let us know what you guys think. Any ways that they could try to get some more cap space for this team. They definitely need it for sure. I mean, for you some know of the guys really they still need to bring back. Is if uh, Kapanen accepts that qualifying offer of like $800,000 and then, you know, everybody's expectations will be lowered because he's playing for $800,000 and we can use him as like a third line right wing penalty killing guy who chips in like maybe 10 goals, like the actual player that he is instead of like the 33 goal guy I said he was going to be. I mean, if he does that and he plays at that cap number, I, I won't hate it as long as long as that's the type of player he is. But I don't know. There's lots of options. Let's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Hextall decides to do this summer. We've still got a lot of time until the new season. I mean, free agency mm-hmm. season until July 13th this season because of the season was delayed. Drafts a week before that. So there's a lot of exciting stuff in the hockey world to come. But really, up until those points, it's just a lot of uh, discussion, hypotheticals, question marks. We have no idea. We're just making some fun to talk. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be monitoring the comments of this episode specifically more than I typically do because I want to know your guys' opinions on obviously everything that we talked about, but specifically with this Penguin stuff. like How, how can the Penguins create some cap space in your guys' minds? Let us know what you think in the comments. Um, other than that, I don't think also I got anything know, else. Also, let us know, is Najee Harris fat? That That's what the yeah, people are asking. Guess, give us your best Najee Harris uh, comp with the way that he's looking right now. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I don't think we have anything else. So for Smitty, for Tyler, this has been Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Be f- sure to like and subscribe to us wherever you're watching or listening to this. If you are watching on YouTube, like I said, leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about what we talked about throughout the show. We'll see you guys next week. Until then, bye-bye. <laughs>